Would you take a moment and join me in prayer? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the ability to come together and to worship you. I thank you for the ability to um, join together as your church, your children, your body. And Lord, I thank you for the grace that you shower down on every single one of us as you've apportioned it, as you've portioned it out and given it richly to everyone. Um, Lord, I pray that as we are talking today about spiritual gifts, Lord, I pray humbly that you would unlock the gift of preaching in me today. Um, You know, Lord, you, you say in your word that if anyone speaks, they should speak as though they are speaking the very words of God, and that's very challenging, Lord. Um, it's very humbling, but it's, it's also a really amazing invitation that you would invite us to speak in that way and to speak on your behalf, humble as we are, broken as we are, flawed as we are. You invite us to speak and live on your behalf. And so, God, I pray that you will do that, and I pray that it will resonate um, in our lives. Lord, I pray that, that as we speak about your gifts that you have given us through the Holy Spirit, and we speak about using them and practicing them and unlocking them, Father, that that we will be empowered to go speak with your words and serve with your strength and give with your heart um, in, in both this body and in the world around us, Lord. Because of your Holy Son and, and through him, we pray. Amen. Friday uh, did not go according to plan. I had plans. I do to-do lists. I got stuff I want to get done. Guess what? None of it happened. Nope. Monique will tell you it's 4.30 and I'm like, I didn't get a single thing done on this list today. She goes, yeah, yeah, some days are like that. But I need to tell you why it was like that. In order to make this sermon really make sense, you also have to understand that this sermon looked a whole lot different on Wednesday than it did on Friday, and it was because of a cup of coffee and a phone call. That's it. Many of you know Brad Kopp's father passed away this week. And uh, obviously that wasn't on my list of things to do on Friday until I got the phone call. And went, okay, well, things are going to get shoved off the plate so that we can go spend time with Brad. And so I'm going into the, I'm going into the Starbucks over at, uh, over at Gateway Village there, okay? Um, because you can't do ministry without coffee. You just can't. Um, you, just, you just can't. And I'm walking in and I'm calling Brad to kind of be like, hey, I'm, I'm here at the line. What do you want? And a young lady, like UVic student age, Kind of, you know, I'm kind of off the line a little bit, and she just she walks past and slips in line in front of me, and then has that realization of like, oh, I just totally cut in front of somebody in line, and turns around and goes like, I'm so sorry, you can get in front of me, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not in a hurry, it's okay, don't worry about it. And we're, you know, so I finish the phone call, and we're just kind of waiting, and you know, about two or three people go in the till, and she gets up front and says, okay, I need this, no, 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 and then you, there's this pause. And she goes, and I'll get whatever he needs to. And I went, that's nice. But let's take this a step further. Because then there was this little nudge in me where I could go like, oh, yeah, I could just accept the coffee. And I said, okay, let me, how about this? How about I have you buy the coffee that I was going to buy for my friend? 
And she goes, yeah, that's, oh, that's great. Yeah, no, let's do that. Okay, that's terrific. And so, you know, what, what does he want? And I give her the order and she turns it in and she goes, oh, you're going to go visit your friend. That's great. What's the occasion? I'm like, do I dare? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, no, 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 let's do this. And I said, well, my friend's father passed away last night and, and I'm getting ready to go spend some time comforting him. And now she's like, oh, and the lady at the till's like, oh, and, you know, like, because we realize that we've just stumbled onto the precipice of something really big here. And again, we could have just left it there, but there's that nudge again that says, go forward, go further forward into this. And I said, what's your name? And she said, my name's Kelsey. And I said, okay, Kelsey, my name's Travis. I work for a church in the area. I, I'm not... I'm not going to launch into a sermon here at Starbucks, but I do need you to realize something, okay? You are not just buying a cup of coffee for somebody that's grieving the loss of their father. I serve a God who says that you are his masterpiece and that you've been created to do things like this. And so I want you to realize that when you, when you had that little nudge that you felt to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that generous thing. That's not just a generous thing in and of itself. You have just become a part of something very, very big. This God that pours comfort out into each of us so that we can turn around and comfort other people. This God that creates us so that we can, in essence, make him great and we can love other people in his name. It's about the only time that you could make somebody cry publicly in a Starbucks and it's okay. I don't know where I don't know where Kelsey's going to go with all that, right? Like I know that she kind of walked out with kind of this like deer in a headlights kind of thing, you know, with her coffee. It's really nice to meet you. It's really nice to meet you too. Here's my business card. Awesome, terrific. You know, I you know, I mean, but here's the thing. And then, of course, I get over to Brad, and I give him a coffee. He takes a pull of it, and he's like, oh, man, that tastes great. And I'm like, let me tell you why it tastes so great. <laughs> and I get to tell him Kelsey's story. Nothing spectacular really happened there. Somebody decided to buy somebody else a cup of coffee, an overpriced cup of coffee. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Okay, let's be real. Okay. Nothing spectacular happened. Everything amazing happened. Because we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in him to do good works. When we talk about spiritual gifts, when we talk about the practice of spiritual gifts, that has to be our bedrock foundation, okay? Not, not simply that it's a good idea to do, not simply that it's something that we're obligated to do, not, not something that, you know, where this is whether you're a next level disciple or not. No, no you were made for this. You were, you were woven together for this purpose, to glorify God. To, to, to shower his grace 
onto those people around you, those that know him, those that do not know him, to strengthen and encourage and grow his family, his body up into maturity. That's why you exist. That's why we exist. And church, we have some powerful message in that because so much of our world does not know why they exist. We do lots of good stuff out there, but we don't do it with an underlying purpose like that. There are tons of service organizations. There are tons of, of, of opportunities to do good things for people all over the place. But how many, of, how many of those organizations can say, we exist because we have been created by the creator of the universe to shower his grace, his love, and his power out into the world and redeem it? That is not on the tagline of a lot of those groups. I'm not, I'm, I, am not, I am not trying to put down any of those groups. That is not what I am saying. What I am saying is that as passionate as they are, should we not be more so? As committed as they are, should we not be more so? As, as, as focused as they are, should our focus and understanding not be even greater? Because of who we are, because of whose we are. There is, there is a thing where I, I, I believe that sometimes we make both more and less of spiritual gifts than we should. And, and let me explain what I mean, okay? In the second chapter of Daniel, we witness Daniel interpreting a dream for the king Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And it is very, I mean, it is very, very significant and is obviously very, very supernatural because it's not even just a matter of interpreting the dream, but King Nebuchadnezzar is not very confident in his advisors around him who claim that they are able to understand the supernatural forces around them, and that's part of their ability to counsel and to um, guide and to advise him as king. And he says, okay, I had a dream. It's not just I had too much spicy food at night and I had a weird dream. Like, this is repetitive. It is, it is vivid and it carries meaning. And you need to tell me what it means. But you're also going to tell me what it was. Okay, that, that's one way to deal with a human resources problem. Is, and if you don't tell me what it is, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. Um, and Oh, and as a side note, spiritual gifts, it's not always a thing. You, you don't always find yourself using spiritual gifts because you're just so darn excited to use them. Okay, I don't think Daniel was like, oh boy. My life's on the line. I'm so excited to be able to put myself in the hands of the living God and be like, I don't know what to do. Help me. Okay. I, and yet here he is having to do this. And he interprets this dream. But before he does, he says this in Daniel chapter 2. He says, O king, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner could explain the mystery that you have asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals the mystery. He has shown you, O king, what will happen in the days to come, and he has given your servant the ability to discern your dream. Okay, let's not make less of spiritual gifts than they are. 
This ability that Daniel gets given is more than just a talent that he possesses. It's more than a natural bent. It's more than a honed skill. It is more than just a passion or a desire that he pursues. It, again, it serves the purpose of glorifying God among people as a witness and benefiting the community of believers. And I think that's, again, I think that's a great working definition for us if we're going to talk about what is a spiritual gift. Rather than trying to boil it down to lists, rather than trying to, you know, like cage it in with, well, it has to be this and not that. I think this is our working definition for spiritual gifts. Is that they are the thoughts, the urges, the words, the actions, the skills, the abilities that are given to us by God. But then they are activated through the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify him as a witness to others and to benefit the community of the disciples that we are a part of. Okay? And so you have to understand, that's a, re- that's a real simple and concise definition, but it's also really wide. And I think God designed that to be really wide. God didn't design spiritual gifts to be very, like, sectioned off. He designed them to be integrated into all of our lives. And I think sometimes when we look at characters in the Bible, we look at, we look at Daniel's ability to interpret dreams, or we look, at, um, we look at acts of healing, or we look at acts of miracles. I think this is part of some of the reason why we have a, a, a tradition of thought, even sometimes, that says when we, look at, when we look at these things in the Bible, well, okay, that was, that was for a specific time then, but that doesn't happen now, because we, we tend to elevate these into great single supernatural events. It would be like taking the best picture off their Instagram feed and saying, that is their life. And we all know that that's not Daniel's life. This is one day in a whole lifetime of prayer and surrender and service and work and skill and listening and, and all of those things that prime Daniel so that when that moment comes and it is the significant moment for his gift to be used, hey, his gift has already been being used. His gifts have already been being activated by God day in and day out because of the position in which he lived his life, because of the way that he has rooted his life, the soil that he has allowed himself to grow in of being surrendered to God and surrendered to God's Holy Spirit. And it doesn't, I mean, you can, you can talk about any of the characters of faith in the Bible. Let's, you know, I mean, talk about Moses. Talk about Abraham. Talk about Noah. Talk about Deborah the judge. Talk about like Ruth, talk about, you know, Lydia or Timothy or or any of these people in the New Testament or Old Testament that have these moments where they're significantly called upon to do things. And what you will see underneath is a life that has been planted in the soil of God's grace. And the spiritual gifts have grown. And if you look in the New Testament, and this is something I think is very, very important for us to consider. If you notice, the writers of the New Testament, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts in Romans or his letter to the Corinthians or in his letter to the Ephesians or in his letter to Timothy, Paul talked about it a lot. Or in the, or in the passage that we just read where 
Peter is talking to the, to the congregation in greater Judea that he is working with. They do not spend a lot of time saying, all right, here's how you discover your gifts. All right, here's how you, here's how you spend your time. You know, here's the survey that you take, okay? And, and again, I'm not knocking surveys. I've done quite a few of them. I've, I've been through gift discovery processes, and I think that they're good. But here's the thing. If our preoccupation is just discovering and knowing gifts, we have totally missed the point of why spiritual gifts exist. The writers of the New Testament say, I mean, honestly, they put it about as plainly as Peter. Whatever gift it is that you've been given, put it into practice. Do something with it. Use it. That it may glorify God as a witness to others and that it may build up the body of believers. And, I, and, and we could go off on all of the reasons of why, but of, of why we've gotten to this point. You know, maybe it's culturally, maybe it's, you know, whatever. But our preoccupation with knowing about how we're created versus living as we are created is really out of whack a lot of times. And I think God is calling us as a church, and I, and, and I don't just mean us as a church, Shelburne, though I definitely believe that he is calling us at Shelburne to allow him to activate the gifts that he has given us more and more to live out of that. But I think, he's, I think he, in a time especially as, as popular culture is turning away from the church and as we are becoming less and less comfortable as a, as a part of society and we are becoming more and more marginalized, these are, these, the use of these gifts and the commitment to being God's workmanship is going to become more and more important because we're going to be more like Daniel. We're going to be more like exiles. And we're going to say, look, there is a God that you do not know, but believe me, he is powerful and he is at work. And then we have to make the really courageous statement and say, and even in my brokenness and even in my frailty and even in my humanness, you can still see him through me. Because I am his workmanship and so are you. And this is why we were created. See, the thing is, is, is those cup of coffee moments, I believe, are around us all the time. All the time. The question is, is do we have the eyes to see them? And maybe even if we do have the eyes, like maybe not, it's not even a question, do we have the eyes to see them? Although we can be very, very distracted. Probably the bigger question is, do we have the intestinal fortitude when we do see it to go ahead and step into it? Spiritual gifts are risky. They're supposed to be. You're, I mean, you are asking the supernatural God to show up. Sometimes he doesn't, okay? Or sometimes he doesn't in the way that you think he should. Right? I mean, Moses tried to get God to lead a revolution once. It didn't turn out so great, okay? It didn't. Kind of ended up 
you know, being a fugitive and running off into the desert and herding goats for 40 years. It's probably not the outcome he was looking for. Okay? But God was still developing his gifts, right? He didn't give up on the idea. He didn't say, oh, I guess I have no gift. Actually, he did try to, and God got really mad at him for it, okay? Finally, God was like, will you just, okay, fine. You can't talk good. I'll send somebody that can do it with you. Go do the thing. Right? And so, I mean, if, if Moses can sit there and be insecure before God and be like, well, I just, I don't have any gifts. And God's like, will you just be quiet? You are my workmanship. Go, go be who I've created you to be. All right. One, let's take some comfort that if Moses can feel that, when you feel that, it's okay. Let's also take the challenge that it was not okay when Moses felt that for him to cop out. It's not okay for you and me to do it either. All right? That may that also may be a, a, a really important sidebar, okay? Is if I'm only feeling that spiritual gifts are the things that I am comfortable with and the things that I genuinely enjoy doing, I am probably shortchanging God and myself and the people around me. That's just a fact. If you've reduced the idea of spiritual gifts at work in you to only the things that you are comfortable about, I would challenge you with, what about being a disciple is comfortable? Very little I am coming to realize. Very little. I mean, I, this, morning, <laughs> this morning I co-taught with Michaela, and I'm, I'm going to use her example. I mean, because one, she's up here teaching everybody and I'd say the mean average of everybody that you were teaching is probably about 20 years older than you and we're all sitting there going yes teach us you know that's not a comfortable position for her to be in okay and I love the passage that she chose when she was talking about spiritual gifts it's out of Jeremiah where, where she goes where, where Jeremiah goes to the potter's house and there's the there's the lump of clay on the wheel and the potter starts fashioning it and something's not quite right so he kind of mashes it back into a ball and starts redoing it and says is this not who you are in my hands and if you go further you know down the line you know it's it's can the potter say to the clay what are you doing to me or are you sure you're cut out for this work but do we do that with god especially when it comes to the challenge of living out his spiritual gifts on us. How many times? How many times have I looked at God and said, "Like, are you sure that you know what you're doing?" It is a risky thing to open ourselves up to the supernatural God and allow Him to work in our everyday lives. It always has been. It always will be. That's not going to change. But that's one of the marks of the disciple is that we are willing to risk not just having a set of beliefs that is odd and supernatural and full of mystery and yet saying this is the purpose for which, which I have created. It is stepping into that system of beliefs. It is living out that system of beliefs. It is risking daily on the fact that what God says about you is real. And living that out in your day-to-day with the things that that he's given you. Do we have the eyes to see? Do we have the courage to step and risk? 
Those should be the most important questions that we're asking when we start talking about spiritual gifts. Not, I don't, I don't know. Am I really good at this or not good at this? I mean, it, step out. Let God show you. Let God show you. But I haven't talked about the phone call. I get back from Brad. By now it's like 3.30 in the afternoon. The day has not gone according to plan. And I'm like, okay, I'm finally going to sit down and I'm, I'm, you know, I throw out a couple emails, do a couple things, and now I am going to do the run-through of the sermon, the, like the practice part where I edit all the things out and all that. I am two minutes in. And I get a knock on my door, and it's me. I'm like, what? I finally, I, I got to get this done. And she's like, well, actually, that thing that you're talking about, the practicing of the spiritual gifts, I think you're going to need to stop talking about it, and you need to pick up the phone and use them. Okay. Turn everything off, shut everything down, pick up the phone. It is an addict calling me from a payphone outside of Rock Bay Landing. Looked through the phone book. Church of Christ. Okay, I'm going to call them. No reason, no rhyme. He starts off the conversation with, I'm not asking for money. I don't need a place to stay. I don't need any of that stuff. I just need somebody to talk to because I'm at the end of my rope. I'm like, okay, I'm listening. Spent an hour on the phone with this guy. And, and throughout the whole thing, I mean, at least the first half of it, I'm going, God, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to tell this person as I'm listening, as I am praying, as I'm going. I have no idea what to do. No idea. Who was here, who was here last Sunday? Okay, this is not taking attendance. Who was here? Okay, so you heard, you heard Lindsay talking about Jeremy, right? The guy that runs Open Arms Ministry downtown. About halfway, through this, about halfway through talking with this guy, I'm about a half an hour in, and all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit goes, text Jeremy. See where he is. See if he can do something. Because I'm going, I, have, I can pray for this person, I can, but I don't have any concrete answers for this person about what to do with their addiction right now. And I text Jeremy, and I'm like, where are you? And I've got somebody on the phone, and I need you to talk to him. He's like, okay, sure, I'm, I'm here where is he? I say, he's right outside Rock Bay Landing, and Jeremy and his lingo is like, dude, that's amazing. I'm three blocks away from him right now. And I'm like, great, I'm going to keep him on the line. So I keep talking to this guy, and I'm like, look, I'm going to pray with you, but do you have the strength to pick up the phone again after you hang up with me and dial another number? Because if you do, I have somebody that I know that can show up right now and that can, like, start carrying you into the next step. Like, you, you made a big step calling me. Can you make another big step and pick up the phone? And they said, yeah, I think I can. And I said, okay. And I give them Jeremy's number, and we pray together. And, and you know, we just, we just pour it out. We just ask God to do stuff. Because we don't know what else to do. Neither of us know what else to do. We just ask God to do stuff. And I hang up the phone, and I have to leave it alone. We're over, at, we're over at our Supper 8 meeting later that night, and I get a call, and it's Jeremy. And he's like, this is the best story. And I'm like, okay, tell me. He said, he called me 
I walked over. We talked for an hour. I got him to flush his stuff, all the drugs. I walked him over to Penbrook. I know the director. We got him fast-tracked. He's in detox for a week right now. I'm like, oh, huh. I have no idea how that story ends. I don't know how that story is going to end. I know how far it's come. Okay? And Monique and I sat there and talked. We, we kind of, we just talked about what happened after. And, and we go like, okay, God sets us up with these things, right? Where she was out of the office, I was out of the office. We had both just gotten back a few minutes beforehand when the call comes. God gives her the discernment to say, no, I really, really need to interrupt Travis and activate his gifts. God uses me and says, you need to activate Jeremy and his gifts. And this person just gets passed from like one person's gift to another person's gift to another person's gift. And now they're in the care of some other people with other gifts, you know, and they're moving along. And again, I don't know where that story goes, but I know how far it's gone so far. And Paul, when talking about gifts, and this is what I want to finish up with and leave you with. Paul talking about gifts gives us this really beautiful image of a body. Where each joint, each ligament, each muscle, each piece is connected to the other piece and activates all the other pieces in order to be able to grow in maturity toward Christ Jesus. And think about that with this person who calls. It's like, it's like a ball is dropping and you have to reach out and catch it. And think about all of the things that just moved when I did that. It is when we practice this idea of single-mindedness that we talked about a, few, a couple of weeks ago. This idea of keeping our focus on Christ rather than being distracted. And it is when we are willing to engage in the messiness and the glory of biblical community that we actually become that image that Paul puts in Ephesians 4. Where the body, each piece growing up together into the head and, and as we grow in maturity, we don't just get tossed back and forth by every wave of teaching, wondering, what's my purpose? What am I here for? How am I supposed to live? What really matters? Paul says, instead, in all things, we will grow up into Christ, who is the head, as he is bringing his grace down toward us, as he is showering himself down on us every single day, and as he is coming nearer we in turn, through the use of our gifts, are growing nearer to him. And we're grabbing everybody else along with us and saying, come, be part of the body. Come, be part of the family of God as we grow up toward our head who is Christ. Church, that's what you were created to do. Each of you. Not alone, together. That's what this is all about. That's where we're going. Let's go there together. Let's practice our gifts together. Let's be the masterpiece of our God together. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.